Exodus chapter 2. We are looking at escaping your Egypt. We have looked at Moses for the last few weeks. We're not going to go through the hell life of Moses. It's be quite a task to do that. But this morning we're on Exodus chapter 2, reading for verse 11. So last week we just spoke on how this deliverer was deliverance in seed form. It looked as though God was doing nothing. His little baby boys, Hebrew baby boys, was getting hurled into the Nile. But yet, God didn't send an angel or a man to do one thing. He simply brought a baby into the world. His parents cared for the baby. And we spoke about how sometimes our greatest acts of faith is just us in survival mode as we see Moses' parents just keen to not throw him into the Nile. That would be the end of the story, but trusted God with his life. And of course, we spoke last week on how Pharaoh actually paid the bill for his upbringing and this wicked Pharaoh uh, right under his nose. God was going to hear the last laugh, as we said, and bring up deliverance and get Pharaoh to pay the bill. It's really an amazing, amazing story. Verse 11, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work during his visit. He saw an Egyptian being one of his fellow Hebrews, looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching. Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The first thing I would say, murder is wrong. I'll just mark that clear. This is a time before the law of Moses, and it's peculiar that many years later, God would choose Moses to give the law of Moses, which included in it was, thou shalt not murder. I wonder if God did a little cough like even Egyptians when he gave it to Moses. And he used a guy that murdered to give the law to the whole nation, not to murder. But I was watching Spider-Man yesterday. <laughs> Bear with me, right? Preachers used to give hymns as illustration. I gave movies, Avengers movies. So Spider-Man. And I was thinking, like Moses, he was just like an angry Avenger. Like he had a heart or deliverance and he had a heart to see. It was an injustice that God had put within him deep in the recesses of his being. A call upon his life to see deliverance. And they to blend in and they just to be called Pharaoh's grandchild. We are the affluence. We are the importance that that would bring. That deep within him he knew he was a Hebrew boy. He was a foreigner in a foreign land. And he sees the Egyptian being bad to he the Hebrew slave. He thinks this is wrong. Not like Spider-Man. You ever mind from Spider-Man? He was going about New York. He would just hear how bad people. Is there only this never seen Spider-Man before? You have heard of Spider-Man? Alson's never seen Spider-Man. Or Gib. Did you have spare time? <laughs> Dean, it's just it's really good. I'm not doing any spoiler alerts for that. Where was that? Aye, so Spider-Man in New York and he hears a bad man being bad to somebody good and somebody poor. What does he do? He jumps down, pss, 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 with his webs. I think he ever killed somebody until the police come. And 
we say that's good. Avenge us, vengeance. An injustice was happening. And here we have Moses just sees a bit of an injustice. And if he hid webs, he would have psh, 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 the Egyptian. But he did what he could. He lashed out wrongly. And it's possible to do the wrong thing, even with the right heart. And here is Moses, we are heart will deliver our heart to see injustices be removed, a heart to see the Israelis set free for the Egyptian slave, the remodel. But he just did the wrong thing. He just messed up. But underneath the surface, if you have to give him honest sympathy, and murder's definitely wrong, we should never do one thing like that. He knew it was wrong because it says he looked to the left and he looked to the right. He sees far was looking, oh, the coast is clear, and I'll just jump in and do it. It's a bit like when you're on a diet and you're just, oh, nobody's looking to get the biscuit down. It's just, uh, I'm sick. I've, I've told the health family I'm on a diet, but I've got a sneaky box of eclairs that I've stashed. But nobody can find out, so you look to the left. Oh, the kids are here. Look to the right as well. Oh, didn't visit our sisters. Get the box of clothes out. Because when you can't know what to do something wrong, you look to the left and you look to the right. This was more severe. This was near a box of clothes. You can't know what to do something wrong. I'm looking to the left. I'm looking to the right. And he should have looked up. He didn't look up. He was looking to the left or looking to the right. And if you live life looking to the left and looking to the right, but we end up making the wrong decisions. But just remember, if you used to just do wrong things all the time, you always had to make sure nobody was looking, sneaking about the dad's wallet, look to the left, make sure he's not look to the right, make sure he's not here, just do the wrong things. You've got to want to live life, not looking all your shoulder, oh, fast looking. Or maybe get a while with us. It's an indication before you do an action, if you're looking to the left and looking to the right, so you never get caught, do you want to do something wrong? But here's Moses with a good heart, an avenger's heart, but just messed up. And sometimes I've found us as well that you've got a heart as blessed as a peacemaker, and we, us, it's usually near strangers on the street. It's usually people closer to us. And if there's only family disputes, you've got a right heart, and you think, yes, I'm going to sort of do it. Or is it just me? I'm going to sort a situation out. I'll put my best fit forward. I'll bless this people, try and get it sorted out because I've got a right heart. Sometimes <laughs> it just doesn't work, does it? And then you've left a scenario worse than at the start. Here is Moses with a right heart, a heart on avenger, a heart to see injustices go for God's people, the Hebrews. But here he is, messing up. But praise God, that's near the end of the story. Killed the Egyptian who hid the body in the sand. It's amazing that Moses wrote the book as we spoke last week, he said he was an amazingly beautiful baby. But here we are, that he's writing, and he cares what's going to happen, that God's going to meet him in the mountain and then say, 
tell my people, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill. If you do one thing like that to any other person, an eye for an eye, that you deserve a no death. But Moses has got the courage through the Holy Spirit to detail exactly what he did. And he owns the story. If I was him and I was writing Exodus, I would just gloss over it and say a little incident happened when I was Pharaoh's grandchild and I ended up in a desert. And we'll just leave people guessing what happened. But it's recorded for us for a purpose and a plan to see how one guy can just be so sneaky, look to the left, look to the right, do the wrong thing. But God never left him and somehow God was working out his plan through his life. And here we see him in verse 13, the next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. He thought nobody seen him. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what happened. He tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to the land to live in the land of Midian. We'll continue. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came, as usual, to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. Some of their shepherds came and chased them away. So here he is, Moses the deliverer again, a heart to be an avenger. Moses jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherds. That's his own way, Spider-Man's cape on, his mask. When the girls returned to Raoul, their father, he asked, why are you back so soon today? An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. They answered, and then he drew water for us and watered our flocks. Where is he? Their father asked. Why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and eat with us. He's got seven daughters. And then there's a hero. He was maybe just wanting rid of one of his daughters. Somebody you could have married. I've got seven of you about the house. Maybe you could have, this could be the one. What have you done with him? Verse 21, Moses accepted the invitation. He settled there with him. He was content. In Egypt, he wasn't content. But in verse 21, he settled there. Praise God for a content heart there. Better a content heart in a desert than an uncontent heart in Egypt. We are the affluence and are the finances. Raoul gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. Later she gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom. He explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land, pertaining to his time in Egypt as a prince, but a Hebrew boy. Verse, I'll end with verse 23. This, we spoke last week, picture form. Egypt, the world, Pharaoh, you could look at a few wise, the spirit of the world, the spirit of the Antichrist, the devil, and Egypt. Yet the journey in the desert, the promised land, could be Christ, could be free to live the Christ life. And when I've been meditating this week, I've been thinking, what is this, the picture form here? Well, Egypt and leaving Egypt and going and being content in a desert. We'll maybe touch on this again next week. I had before my was this. 
A lot of times in my Christian life, I've thought I'd, that Egypt, your time before Christ, right? So before Christ, you have a circle of charms. You've got a family. You say it was a circle, a circle of charms. You've got a family. You've got employment. You've just got life going on, haven't you? There's many circles. Hobbies would be another circle. And sometimes I've thought that when you get saved, then you turn your back on other previous circles and God marks all things new. And now you've got the God life. Consumed by God and church. And you think, lay down things like that and just walk away. The problem we are sometimes is we put forward this, that Christianity is a complete separatist movement. That as soon as you get saved, that your family, they're not Christian, then you need to follow God before them. So you, okay, if you'd agree with me, I'm agreeing with the church people, okay? Now, I'm not saying this is for Abadie, I'm just saying you, I'm not, this was not taught for the front, this is how I felt as a born again believing Christian. Now, I was in a different circumstance because I came back to the broch, and obviously I wasn't going to pile a boot with people that were still sticking needles in their arms because that would have been bad. But then I teen that as sort of a general rule for Christians, separatist movement. So you got hobbies for before, and okay, and you've got a circle of chums for before, but now that's less important than your circle of chums in church. And if you've depicted two, then you've got to be separatist and do the church stuff. Am I making any sense? It's, it's a northeast stare, especially with masks on. I think you're processing what I'm saying, and they're disagreeing with what I'm saying. Okay, so the picture of Egypt would be other circles, do 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 social circle, friends that do stuff, eh, hobbies, employment, and then our here's the Jesus life for God's just another circle in your life, and your church is another circle. That's how I thought. You can't, the problem with a separatist movement, it's ineffective in its mission, but it's also very cultish in nature. A cult is this, somebody with a big personality, a domineering personality in the middle that demands you come away from our thing and separate yourself from every other influence to join the separatist movement, which is a cult. Church is not a cult. We've got a Jesus that is humble, that is willing to serve. Yes, he's charismatic. Yes, he will still wash people's feet. And he's called us to be salt and light in the earth. And I came across a scripture. So I would have thought us. You still with me? Right? Chums, if I was good in computers, I would have had this on a slide for you. But I didn't have three weeks to spend on us, right? You've got your life before Jesus, your family, your social circle, your work life, your hobbies. And I would have thought church life is another circle, God is another circle. And the most important thing is God and church life. And if other circles have to be dismissed, you've just got to focus on that two circles. It's not true. You go, I have circles. You get saved. Church life becomes another circle. You can for God's act. He encircles your hell circle. 
there's a peculiar verse in First Corinthians, very peculiar verse in First Corinthians chapter seven, seventeen. And I'm just going to touch on this because. I don't want you to think, oh, it's theory, it's theory, it's good in theory, it sounds good in theory. I want you to see how this was actually an issue for the church in Corinth, right? So you've got a bunch of people, they were married, one got saved, the other went to the husband or the, the wife and says, I became a Christian, now we need to separate. They went to their employment people and says, okay, I've become a Christian now, I need to leave my job. And then Paul writes, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, reading for verse 17. Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you is a general rule. There are exceptions to the rules. The exceptions is as if your circle is dragging you into being some crazy antichrist Satanist, then whack away for that. But Paul says to the church, as a general rule, continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you. Remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. For instance, you've got to guess in the context of the day it was written in. There's something that I would write. For instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it, and I'm not even sure how that would happen. Moving on. And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now. For it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The most important thing is to keep God's commandments. Yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. If you have a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. That's your employment. If you're a slave, then I try and just say, sorry, Master, I am a Christian. If you get a chance to be free, do it. But recognize this. The Lord encircles your circle, and you're free in Him, even if your employment's a slave. God paid a high price for you. Don't be enslaved by the world. Each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you, and He goes on and speaks about marriage again. So, where do we go with us? Remain as you were when God called you. So if you've got a person that you play squash with in your social circle and you get saved, I'm probably saying squash because we've been working through Alpha and Nikki Gumba loves playing squash. A lot of examples is to do with squash. I've never played squash in my life, probably twice. There's even a squash court in a broch on there, right? But if you've got posh enough to hit squash, in your house, and you've got mates that play squash, and you get saved, you don't need to go to them and say, oh, squash life is our way. I'm now a follower of Jesus. 
part of our separatist movement because it gives us idea that once you get saved, if we bring Jesus into that question, the squash mates kind of left thinking, Jesus doesn't love me? Jesus doesn't like me? Jesus is kind of walk away from me? Well, is Jesus going to hang around and play squash and listen to the person's problems because one day he might need somebody as a Christian? Jesus showed us an amazing why. It's very different for the Old Testament prophet why. For John the Baptist turned up and says to folk as he stood in the wilderness, come to me. That was the old why, the old covenant. But Jesus came out for the wilderness, follow the Holy Spirit. And he went to the highways and byways and he mixed with people he should never have mixed with. And he sat with people he should never have sat with and he spoke to people he should never have spoke to as a holy man of God. One of the greatest examples of us is finished coming down a mountain and he meets a leper. And in the Old Testament covenant, the lepers had to stay outside the walls, had to ring a bell to say they were unclean. And Jesus was coming down a mountain and he approached Jesus. And Jesus should never have touched him. And Jesus says, Where are you wanting me to do? He says, I just want to be clean. And Jesus could have spoke the word and he would have been clean. But yet Jesus, to show us a greater why, reached out and touched him. He says, be clean and be whole. And the leprosy just fell off him. And his skin was renewed like baby's skin. And he touches the untouchable. He didn't stand in the wilderness and just simply say, come, he went out. Because he was full of life. He was life. He was light. And he shows his church a greater why than simply be a separatist movement. And we teach cautious Christianity because we didn't trust the power of the Holy Spirit enough. We didn't trust the power of the resurrection spirit enough. We become so cautious. Oh, watch where you go. Then I mix with them. Be careful. You must some Jesus Christianity. It says, no, meet with the uncleans. Because the truth that we declare is not just nice words, but greater is he that is in us, the church, than he that is in the world. And every foot we can place our feet in, we can declare we are standing on holy ground. You get exceptions. If you think you're you're walking into a place that's going to do you harm, then I go. But the rule is, remain in the place that you are when you were saved, because God's got you exactly where he wants you. And God's got you in a circle of chums to be an influence for Jesus in that circle of chums. God's got you in employment because God's got you in employment because I'm an employer. Maybe you like or maybe you didn't like, but he needs Jesus. 
And we need to trust the Holy Ghost in people's lives. They just got to deal with Egypt. Because it's easy to preach. Turn your back on the world and everything you used to can. And start new life with just God in the church. It's easy to preach that and some people would say amen. But this was a picture Oh, a heart for me. You can be in desert and her heart follow Egypt. And if you've got problems, your problems will surely follow you. I think God does a work in your heart. He delivers you for the principalities and the powers of the world. And it's heart surgery. And you're free and you're free and you're free and you're free and you're free. To be courageous and you're free to be far you are in Jesus, Canaan, for God has placed you at. And it might look like you're a rebel and it might not look nice sometimes, but you've got God's motives and God's courage, your heart and your trust in Him, that He will give you the grace to stand firm in the day of trial. Can I get an amen? I can see you're still thinking about us. I'll give you one personal example. This was before I came a minister, so you kind of sack me for us now, okay? Because <laughs> some of you I agree with us, right? Okay, so, the time in my life, so I was, became a Christian. I did hear a thing about being separatist and that, okay, I must confess, we was on that journey. Then my dad was going through a trial, right? So, he's going through a difficult period in his life. I'm not going to tell you about this. Although you'd like to can. And he says to me, would you just meet up once a week? Uh, just, uh, just for somebody to speak to. And just for going through this. And I said, yes, Dad. I will. I said, before we got a D. Because Grandad Jimmy just doesn't sit and drink or coffee, right? So he said us, we used to play pool through the week. We used to go a little bit in, we used to, that's what we used to do, it's father and son time. He said, well, we used to play pool. Well, could you just play pool on a Friday night? Now, Friday night was a good night, because I didn't do kids club. I didn't like doing kids club. Like, ah, oh, that screaming burns under one roof. So Isabel did kids club and how the tables have turned. Isabel did kids club, it was Kevin night. That was why I just did what I wanted to do. And my dad said, Fab, on a Friday night, we go, we just play pool. So, well, far we got a day. There's not many Christian venues with a pool table, right? So he says, right, we'll just go to the Elizabethan, we'll go to the other usual haunts. Okay, Dad, a designated driver. <laughs> Somebody's shocking your head. This was before I became a minister, you kind of suck, man. So we did. We went. We played pool. He had a few pints. I was a designated driver, a few callers. Sometimes he paid, sometimes I paid. Always paid, paid a pool. And at up moments, with special moments, he spoke about life. If it was Dean, he would ask questions. Valuable moments. And then uh, it was Johnny and William. Now, there came a time for then he got a girlfriend, and then her Friday night, met night, got ditched. But during that time, there was uh, further along Christian me, I shall say, that in a fellowship here, so then I think, oh, is he speaking about me? 
asthma. How's your dad doing? I says, doing fine. Gone through some stuff. Do you see him? I says, every Friday night. He says, oh, very good. What do you do with him? I says, we've got a pub to play pool. He just hit the ground at that point. He says, you can't do that. I was like, oh, yes, I can. He says, no, 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 no. That's what we need to be aware of. There's exceptions to the rule. I'm just telling you a general rule. He says, no. He says, I'd him being an influence on you. You need to be an influence on him. I says, okay, if you was me, what would you do? And he says, well, kids club's on on Friday night. We've got a pool table downstairs in church. Farmline's a pool table downstairs in church. It was like playing it on the Titanic. And uh, I said, so you would recommend all 150 kids. It's gone crazy upstairs. I've been playing pool with Jimmy downstairs. He's picking every life because it's in church. And he said, aye, that would be you being an influence on him. And we can, it's a funny story and we can laugh. But here's the deal. I get his point or influence in about geography for your art. But yet that moments were special. But yeah, I did the right thing. And you might say, well, I think you did the right thing. You should have seen him downstairs. Number one, Jimmy wouldn't sign up to come into a church with 150 kids going mental upstairs without a pint, with a glass of cider, to play pool in something that resembled a pool table on a fishing boat. It would be a non-starter. But that's what creeps into Christianity. They're on one side, we're on the other side. The only thing we can do is invite them to church things. But yet Jesus showed us a different why. You must be salt and light in the earth. Come on. Darkness has no power over the light that shall be extinguished. You are the light of the world bringing light to dark places. There was no temptation for me as I stood in the Elizabethan thinking, hold on, see that guy at the bar really wouldn't be like that. There was no temptation, there was no danger. Spending time with my dad and then I was just going to go home. The exception to the rule is if it's dangerous for you, if it's going to be tempting then you might end up being at the bar and just going to one being crazy, then I go. Ken, something, this is a dangerous message. Because it's almost says, I gave my license to the honor thing. Senas. Christianity is now a separatist movement. And you have been chosen by God to get full of Jesus and his word. And like Finmore Hen, Mince and Tatties, this evening, some of you is like sat. Then I just put a bar. Hell pile of sat in the corner of your plate and dip your mints into the sat. It's to be spread out because we are missionaries, called to be missionaries. That's the rule. If ever God has called you, 
to be forever. You got saved. He encircles, and it's a miracle that as soon as I get saved, God put a circle right around my family, right the way around, every single one of them, and became vastly interested in my family. And some would say, well, it started with my granny here. I thought you're the only Christian in your family. God puts a circle around your family. He wants to be Lord of your family. We should teach our young people. Not so much, oh, the world's so bad. Watch my father with me. I just got a drug you're doing. You've got to become a sinner. Though you're the only Christian in your class, Lord, none go with me. Still, I will follow. It's good songs. We just didn't preach it or declare it enough or say it enough to our kids. Don't none go with you, son. Christ is for you. And if he is for you, who can be against you? Praise God for Christian relationships and fellowships within classes. But even if you're the only aim, God's got you exactly far he wants you. Though you go to university and there's near a Christian circle or campus, God's got you far he's got you. And his grace is sufficient. And you might make mistakes, but his grace is sufficient. And we need to teach our young people faith is sometimes to stand alone and bear your cross for Jesus and to be a missionary and to teach him that God has still got them there for a plan and a purpose. And all God's people said, we're going to Elizabethan after this. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just an example. <laughs> okay, I'm just about to bring us to a close. I've got to teach us, it's exception, is that I didn't go. The rule is, God's big enough in my life, and I'm sure enough in the grace that He has given me to stand in the faith that He has given me. I'm going to close with us. Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. So my main point, I don't know if you got my main point, Egypt's not a place that you distance yourself from. It's a condition of your heart. And people can still come to church and hate Egypt in their heart. And this place was safety. But it's a picture, and the Apostle Paul and, and Major on this, the circumcision of the heart. And God does a work in your heart, and you're free in your heart, and when you're free in your heart, your feet can go to places. You never, angels will fear to tread, but you can that God is weird because He said, free in your heart, and you're not going to be tempted to go crazy because you can that God's got your heart, and you wouldn't sacrifice that for anything, for any pals, or for any other relationship in the world. Egypt, for me, was a cutting away of the heart, and for Moses, 1840 years, for me, it a long time as well. I'm just going to end with us because we have got a meal to prepare. Hallelujah! Some haggis, neeps, and tatties. Gonna signed up. There is still time. There is more than enough to go around. Years passed by, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued growing under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Forty years beforehand, Moses thought it was time to act, and he got wrong. He had a right heart, but just did the wrong thing. It blew up in his face, and that happens. It happened to be many times before, especially when you try and fix circumstances, and you just feel as though, I should have just left it. And 
Egypt is a sign of getting out of Egypt is a sign from God is a miracle of your heart. He sets you free from the principalities and the attitudes of the world. You're not self-obsessed. It's not you in the middle on the mirror. It's God in the middle of his circle that you are part of. Finally, I want to say this, and this is what struck me. I've read this a million times before, and it was verse 24. God heard her groaning. So Moses, he settled in a distant land, but the Israelites are still in bondage and slavery. They're crying out for a deliverer. God heard her cry. God remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've read that loads of times before. But the first time I ever recognized the magnitude of it was when God said, I heard her groaning. And then I remembered a promise that I made to a guy called Abraham, a guy called Isaac, and a guy called Jacob. And he was speaking, not Tim Moses, but had this moment in mind. Do you care how much years passed between this moment in Moses' life now we're here, and God spoke to Abraham and told Abraham specifically, I'm going to make a nation through you. They're going to be blessed. We're numerous in the stars and the sky and the grounds and the sand. And he told Abraham, but they will be in bondage for 400 years. We're going to deliver them out of that place and a place flowing with milk and honey. Do you can how much years had passed? A thousand years. And 900 years since Abraham died. Can how I can that? And then I go back to the genealogy. I just Googled it. You can do it, huh? It's really easy. I just put in, how much years between Abraham and Moses? 1,000 years. Think about this. God made a promise to somebody, then remembers about it in our timeline, and God is out with our time. He's in eternity, past and present, future. 1,000 years. He says, hold on. I said something to this guy, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now I want to fulfill it. That blew my mind. It blew my mind because sometimes I think this. God says and does everything in my lifetime that he's going to do. And when I'm kicking up the daisies, that's my story ended. And hopefully I've passed the baton on to the next generation that will just go with faith. But 900 years after Abraham was kicking up the daisies, and he's, at the, he's with the father, God remembers that he says, God is faithful and true. Do you care that God's promises in your life are not limited to your lifespan? Isn't that amazing? When I was meditating on that, I just went, boom. I always thought it was. I didn't thought about it. But one day, you've got to go to be with him. Imagine this, right? 900 years after you lived, and God's made you promises, and it doesn't matter if you have kids or not, okay? Because if you pray for the next generation, some of the great fathers that I can in the faith have no kids. So, if you're praying for the next generation, you're interceding for your community, you might not see it. Much of it happens. But 900 years, doing the line, God is still working out situations that he had promised you when you were alive. God is faithful throughout the generations. And if God has said something to you in a covenant and a promise in your years of existence, 
He hasn't bound himself that you will actually see the fulfillment. And 30 years might go by. 100 years might go by. Unless Jesus comes back. 400 years, 500 years, 600 years, 700 years, 900 years. And God says, I made a promise to Julie. I made a promise. I made a promise. And things are lining up. I'm going to fulfill my promise to Julie 900 years ago. I made a promise, a promise to Eldon 900 years ago. I've been watching out of this promise because I'm not a man that I should lie in and I change like shifting shadows. I am God. I said, I am. I, the great I am. I made a promise. He didn't see it when he was alive, but I made a promise 900 years ago. Things are now matching up. People are starting to grow and people are starting to be ready. He thought he was praying for a revival that he was going to see. Oh, little did he can. 10 years past, 100 years, 900 years later, I'm just a lot of bring our thing into fruition, the prayers of the saints of the past. We need to keep on praying, people. I keep on crying out to God. I cannot promise you that you will see it. Because I came great senses, went before, that prayed for the exact same thing we will pray for on a Tuesday night for God's Holy Spirit to be poor, that people will get saved. I cannot promise you you'll see it. I can promise you that God's listening. And at His time, People would have prayed that's gone to be with the Lord. Daddy would have prayed the same prayers. And Rhoda would have prayed the same prayers. People have gone. Since before us, they've gone. Alan would have prayed the same prayers. And God remembers the promises. And He hears. And it might be some time and He remembers the kids and He remembers the grandkids. And He remembers and He sees it growing in. And He says, now is the time when we'll move. That should encourage your heart. That God promises towards me is not limited on me breathing. One day my body will be food to the worms. And I'll get a good feast. But the prayers that is prayed in this place. And the things that God has said over my life will continue. Isn't that a good way to end a sermon? <laughs> I've never right hand it. I fear you to be encouraged. God sees your heart and you may be messed up being an avenger. God will work out. And maybe you keep going back to Egypt. Ask God to deliver you for the hand of Pharaoh. And he will. And he'll circumcise your heart, the cutting of the flesh. And Ezekiel prophesied, will heart of stone will become a heart of flesh. It'll be a spiritual heart of love and of kindness or generosity. The fruits of the Spirit will be worked out in your life. Oh, Egypt loses its grasp on your life as the hand of God comes upon you. We're called to be missionaries forever. We are at in life. Didn't I be in a rush just to say I'm a Christian and I'm blowing this relationship. I'm back in, out in years of friendship because now I'm a Christian. But be confident you are for God has placed you to be in your circle of family, friends, employment, unemployment. But as God has spoken out of your life, he is faithful and just to do what he has promised. And I'm just going to pray to close the service when they get the worship team up. You've been tremendously good listeners as you've sat through that curious eyes of the Northeast. One day I'll maybe retire to an African church full of hunky, waving, 
amen, brother Christians. Well, until then, I'm content to stand in front of you every week. Praise Jesus. <laughs> okay, so Fuse has got to cook up some haggis. Again, please, if you want to come, just come. Jesus, we thank you for the gathering of the saints. We thank you every time we meet that it is special and you speak and you do things that we cannot do, but it's always to bring freedom and to glorify the name of Jesus. And as we just sit here and take a moment and consider you, God, we thank you that for every Christian, I believe, maybe buried deep somewhere, there is a cause just waiting to spring forth for deliverance, to see injustices go, to see poor people helped, to see people bound in addiction set free. And sometimes it's just buried, just as Moses buried the Egyptian. But God, that you would sort out and bring this dreams and hopes that we carry in our hearts through the process that we'd see it happen. And Jesus, for them, the Egyptian ways is still circling our heart and the world is just so full of temptations and we go in cycles and being good one minute and yet we go back into temptation for the next. We trust your word and the resurrection power of Christ within us. You will quicken our mortal bodies. That we want to be used as missionaries of light and salt in the earth to bring the gospel to the most difficult places in the land. I pray for an assurance and a grace faith that would stand firm even if we've got to stand alone. That the testimony of Christ would still be so none go with me, still I will follow. Deliver our hearts from Egypt and bring it in to the promised land. Jesus, flowing with milk and honey and God's provision as the Holy Spirit floods Christ in our bodies. Burst forth, burst forth, burst forth in Jesus' name. And we pray for your promises. We thank you for the promises that you've given us contained even in this gathering. We thank you and we trust you that you are watching over them to take them into fruition. And we will continue to contend for our community to see people set free, to see revival come, for your Holy Spirit to be poured out. And we are confident that you are a God of fulfillment and completion. And we simply say all your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. You're a good Father. You're a good God. And we simply turn back and say, thank you, Jesus, for all that you are to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.